Everybody glad you're here. I thank God for you. You know what's so exciting to me after having served this church for over 40 years is, is how God consistently and constantly is at work in the lives of people who show up in this room and those of you online. Man, as you watch, God is at work in your life and we're grateful and uh, just as evidence of it, uh, I got a new friend uh, last week, a new couple of friends. Uh, a young lady showed up at church last Saturday night for the first time. She'd been watching online, I think. And uh, she came back last Sunday morning uh, with her hubby and then climaxed this 1030 service by being joined with Jesus in baptism. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice uh, golf clap. Uh, no, you know, it's just wild whether it's online or in the room. And if you're with us for the first time, man, we're grateful God has brought you. We want to see you experience his active work uh, to your good. And you've caught us in the middle of a teaching series on emotions. It was one of the issues that when people would come forward to me for prayer, their emotional well-being was one of the top prayer concerns in their life. So we decided to do this series. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on the number one mental health issue in America, our anxiety. Number one mental health issue for men, women, and teenagers. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the number two mental health issue in America. It's our anger. our anger. So why I wore this t-shirt today. It says, be a kind human. Kindness is the opposite of anger. And we always have a choice. I mean, when our face, when the adrenaline flows and we get flushed with the anger being upset, we, in that moment, we still have a choice. The bad stuff can come out or we can shift to kindness. It's not an easy shift, but it's a shift that can be made. You don't have to go too far to see that anger is the number two uh, mental health uh, issue in our nation. You don't have to go any further than uh, social media. Um, you, you won't believe this, but I uh, was scrolling through Facebook recently and saw a lengthy, uh, angry, hate-filled political rant. Shocker, right? And after I read it, I so badly, I wanted to comment. Thank you so much for your crazy anger. You changed my mind. No, anger doesn't. Anger just makes you want to run the other direction. Anger wants you to take the opposite position of the crazy person who's angry. Unhealthy anger, psychologists say that unhealthy anger is the great destroyer of relationships. That's what happens on social media. Friends are no longer friends because anger goes public. Your anger is like a hammer that when, you, when your anger hits somebody you love, shatters them. I was a kid that grew up um, and I got whippings. And the, the sting from the whoopings went away. I had friends who had very angry parents. And the scars of the angry words never 
went away. Now, psychologists, those smart guys, they could easily say that unhealthy anger is the destroyer and just leave it at that. Our FBI, according to our FBI, every 14 seconds, there's a violent crime in our country. Every 14 seconds. Every 28 seconds, there is an aggravated assault on someone driven by anger. Every 23 minutes, a murder. 1,500 people every year, 1,500 people are injured or killed in road rage incidents. And that's just in church parking lots after the service. No, isn't that wild? 1,500 people injured or hurt just in road rage incidents? Anger out of control? People get arrested for driving drunk. They should get arrested for driving angry. Number one cause in America, the number one cause of emergency room visits, women battered by domestic violence. Anger, our anger is killing us. One of my spiritual heroes through the years has been a guy named Dallas Willard. I don't know if you've read any of his books or heard him speak, but he, he says this, to cut the root of anger is to wither the tree of human evil. I mean, if we can cut unhealthy anger out of our lives, we can kill the possibility of evil infecting our lives or relationships. Brother of Jesus, his name is James. And he writes this way about this epidemic of anger. Everyone must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I mean, if you're angry, you cannot do any of the good things God wants done. So you got a choice. On the one hand, there's anger. And on the other hand, is the kind things that God wants you to do for the people surrounding your life. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now that I had never told another human being until last night at church. And I said it again at 8.15 and again at 9 o'clock. And now I'll share it with you. It's something that happened to me when I was a kid. It was summertime. I wanted to go out and play. I grew up in the 50s. I was born in 1951. So I was a kid in the 50s, early 60s. And I'm out running the neighborhood looking for other kids to hang out with. I couldn't find anybody. So I'm on my way home and I'm walking uh, through the backyards of the people that live on our street. And when I start to pass uh, our next door neighbor's house, bam, their screen door slams open and slams against the side of the house. I look at the door and hear a woman scream. And I see her husband beating her. She's screaming, stop it, stop this. And as I see them, they see me. He violently yanks her back into the house. And then I take off running. I run into my house. I run into my bedroom. I never say a word to my mom and dad. I never tell my brother, never tell any of my friends. But even now, all these years later, I wonder what it was like to live in that angry house. There was a boy that lived in that house who was two years younger than me and a girl who was a year older. And I wonder what it was like to live in that angry house. What would they say today? 
I did not grow up in a in an angry house, but I remember two specific times when my dad was very, very angry with me. Both instances happened when I was in high school, teenager, and both instances involved me being mean and disrespectful to my dad. And my dad let me know in no uncertain terms that there would not be a third time, if you know what I mean. Years later, now as an adult, my dad, as you, many of you know, has recently passed away. But even before my dad's passing, I, I realized that when he disciplined me uh, as a teenager for being mean and disrespectful to my mom, he was acting like Jesus. Do you know the one time, the one time that scripture indicates that Jesus was angry? Maybe your mind immediately flashes to the time when he was turning over money tables and coins are going everywhere and he's stampeding animals in every direction and he chases the cheaters out of God's house. These religious, politically motivated cheaters are swindling poor people out of their money. What little money they had. Now the Bible does not say that Jesus was angry when he did that. In fact, let me show you the prelude. What happens the day before that event takes place where Jesus does throw chairs around, turn over tables, send animals stampeding in every direction and chases those cheaters out of God's house. Here's the day before. Scripture says Jesus went into the temple and after looking around carefully at everything, he left. If he's angry, he walks away from his anger. If he's angry, he walks away from, from what is disturbing him deeply. He walks two miles, to tell you the truth. He walks from Jerusalem to Bethany. I've made that walk a number of times when we've been in Israel. It's a long walk, two miles. What'd that take him? Maybe 40 minutes? In that 40 minutes, over the course of those two miles, the, the anger, if he, if he is angry, Bible doesn't say he is, but if he is, it's time for the anger to dissipate. It goes away. But it's a great, great practice. When anger happens, walk away. Put great distance between you and the upsetting situation. But Jesus does more than put distance. He puts time. It's late afternoon. The scripture, that was late afternoon. He makes his walk to Bethany. He eats supper. He, he, he goes to bed. Now, I believe that it's not just distance and time that he puts between the incident, but during that expanse of time, I believe, because this was his pattern. It was his pattern to pray. I believe Jesus prayed, Father, you know what I saw. You know what's going on. You know how those politically motivated people are cheating the poor and being mean to the poor. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say, Father? How do you want me to do it? How do you want me to say it? I believe that Jesus heard from God. And the next day he gets up, no big rush, has breakfast, walks from Bethany to Jerusalem with his closest friends, and when he gets to the temple, poo, baby, he cleans house. It's like John Wayne going into the saloon. But it's Jesus going into the temple. And the tables are flipped over. The chairs 
thrown skidding across the floor. Coins go everywhere, animals go everywhere, and Jesus, Jesus chases the cheaters out of God's hand. You will not be mean to the poor. You will not disrespect the poor. You will not treat the poor poorly. Here's what Jesus actually says. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. The word there actually is ethnos in the Greek, and it means people groups, all people groups. The poor, the rich, the educated, the illiterate, the weak, the strong. My house will be a house of prayer for all people groups, but you have turned it into a gathering place for thieves. Now that really happened. I've walked the same walk that Jesus walked. If he was angry, the Bible doesn't say that he was angry. If he was angry, he's teaching us great wisdom. Because you know what? Let's be real. Being human means to be angry at times. We all get angry. But we have the same choice that Jesus had. When, when the adrenaline is released, when it starts to surge up within us, when we're ready to go at it, when words are ready to fly out of our mouth, before you flip a finger or throw a fist, walk away. Serious. Walk away. That's your first best move. Walk away. Jesus walked two miles. Put an extended period of time between the disturbing incident before you say a word, before you do anything. And then in that extended period of time, pray. Dear God, you saw what happened. What do you want me to do? Maybe you don't want me to do anything. What do you want? Maybe you want me just to shut up. But if you want me to say something, what do you want me to say? And how do you want me to say it? Because more is communicated through your angry tone of voice. I'll take that as an amen. <laughs> then through the words you use. So do you know, do you know the one time the Bible specifically says that Jesus is angry? Here's the scene. Some more of these politically motivated, really religious people are trying to trap Jesus so that they could arrest him. It's a holy day. It's against their religious law to help anybody on a holy day. And they know that Jesus finds it irresistible to see a person in need and he'll help anybody on any day. So they get this disabled guy, this disfigured guy. And in that day, if you were disfigured, if you were disabled, you were considered a non-person, no rights. You're not a person. How can you have rights? You're not allowed in church. You're not allowed in the market. You're out. Beg if you have to, but you're out. You're not a person. They don't give a rip about this disabled guy. He's just a pawn, an expendable pawn, uh, an acceptable loss in their plot to have Jesus arrested. So they stick him in the front row. This guy, can you imagine how humiliating that would be? Because this guy, if he ever did go to worship, he would sneak in after the service started. He would sneak in the back. He would sit in the shadow so no one noticed his disability, his disfigurement. But there he is when Jesus walks in front and center. Jesus sees him. And then he looks at the politically motivated, really religious guys smirking at him. Here's what the text says. Jesus looked around at them angrily. Only time that Jesus is described as being angry in the Bible. Jesus looked around at these jerks angrily for he was deeply disturbed by their indifference to human need. 
Notice the two things that make Jesus angry if he was angry in the temple. When you are mean and disrespectful to the poor and when you couldn't give a rip about somebody in need. That fuels the anger of Jesus. But notice how he handles it. Walks away. Distance, time, pray. On this occasion, Jesus doesn't do anything. He speaks a word and instantaneously, miraculously, the man is restored. And the angry, politically motivated religious people, they storm out in a huge huff. Now they're not just going to arrest Jesus. They're going to kill him. So remember the two things that provoke the anger of Jesus if he was angry in the temple? The mistreatment, being mean and disrespectful to the poor and showing indifference to people in need. What makes us angry? Something or someone does not go our way. And man, we get all fired up. We get all bent out of shape. Somebody says something that hurts our, you're gonna treat me like that? I'm gonna treat you like this. Instant anger over nothing. So there's Jesus' anger, and you always have a choice. In the moment, in the disturbance, you have the choice to do Jesus' anger, walk away, put distance, put time, and pray. Maybe God's gonna tell you, keep your mouth shut, do nothing. Or maybe God is gonna tell you how to say it, when to say it, and what to say. But you have a choice. It's either Jesus' anger or jerk anger. And I did jerk anger for about 40 years of my life until about 30 years ago, I got sick of it. And I determined that from this point forward, my boys were teenagers at the time, and I was sick of me being upset with them. And so from now on, it's Jesus' anger. But distance, but time, pray. So I wanted to ask you, I told you about uh, our next door neighbor's house, the angry house. I told you about the two times my dad was really angry and rightfully so with me in my house. I wanted to ask you, what kind of anger is in your house? Do you have like garbage can anger? You, you know what I'm talking about? You, uh, you get angry and like you take the trash out, you take your anger out, you stick it in the can and you slam the lid on it. You don't put it to the curb. You don't get rid of it. You don't process it. You just keep it stuffed down in that can with the lid on it. Something happens. Someone happens. You get angry again. Now you got another bag of anger garbage. You go out to the can, stuff it down, step on it, squish it. That hurt my back. Put the lid on it. Guess what happens to your anger when you stuff it and you stuff it and you stuff it? Just like garbage stuffed in the can, it starts to stink. Maybe in a scenario like this, what's wrong? Nothing. I can tell something's wrong. I'm just fine. You're, you're not fine. I said I was fine. I can tell something's wrong because I can smell the fumes. If you got garbage can anger, look at the word of God. Scripture says, if you're angry, don't sin by nursing a grudge. 
just, you know, going away and making up arguments in your mind with that person, thinking of bad things you'd like to do to them, terrible things you'd like to see happen to them. If you're angry, and we all get angry, but don't sin by nursing a grudge. Don't let the sun put a, an expiration time on your anger. You got less than 24 hours. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Get over it, get over it, get over it. Quickly get over it by putting distance between you and the disturbance, by putting time and expansive time, by praying, by going into God's presence. Get over it quickly. For when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Now that in the Greek, the word there for foothold, it's a military term. It means a strategic position from which to launch attack. When you hold on to your anger, there's a voice in your head speaking, and it's not God, it's Satan. And he's creating all kinds of conversations and scenarios where you put the bad hurt on somebody you're upset with. And maybe some of you are thinking, why would anybody repress their anger when it feels so good just to express it? Maybe you have predator power washer anger. Uh, I did some research this week and there actually is a predator power washer. I don't know if you know this, Quinn. It'll blow stink off a skunk. Uh, I mean, it is super powerful. If you turn that baby on, it's just got a little switch, but you flip, flip that switch, you're like, whoa, baby. Maybe that's you when you get angry. You just blast away at anybody or anything that upsets you. Do you know if, you want to know how you can tell if you have predator power washer anger? Do you yell when you're angry? Do you, do you cuss? You ever hit the wall? You ever break something? That's a, that's a warning. Breaking something is one step away from hurting someone. You ever squeal out your tires? You ever get up in somebody's face? You ever just blast away? Here's the thing. People, they're like, the people in your life, they don't know what's going to set you off the next time. All they know if they somehow hit that little switch, bam, you're just blasting away at anybody and anything. So they just kind of keep you at arm's length, never, never knowing when you're going to go off. You know, we see people like this all the time in our culture. We see people going off just about, sure, they go off on social media. They also go off down at Walmart. They go off at ball games. My Deb and I were in the drive-thru at McDonald's and there were these two cars of people yelling at each other, making hand gestures at each other, going at it with each other in the drive-thru. These guys need happy meals. Um, if this has been your history, it can change today because our Jesus is a healer. I told a a young woman who came forward for prayer. The anger is an expression of something broken and wounded and hurting on the inside. Jesus is a healer. Here's what the word of God says. Don't be quick-tempered. That's being a fool. Proverbs, book of Proverbs underscores this by saying, don't be a fool and quickly lose your temper. Notice the opposite of a quick temper. 
Notice the opposite. It's, it's being sensible. When you are angry, you are not sensible. You are angry because you are impatient. Instead of flying off the handle, be patient. Patiently put some distance. Patiently put some time. Patiently pray. Be sensible. Be patient. I don't know about your homes. I think when you get old, memories get all mixed up. But I think my boys had something called Rock'em Sock'em Robot. Anybody else have that game? It's not high tech. It's not digital. Um, it's like you don't plug it in. You got these two robots in a boxing ring and you got these two uh, controls on the side and they're not remote control either. You try to move your robot around and you can make him punch. The idea is that you corner or get as close to the other robot as you can and bam, you win when you knock his head off. You ever know anybody like that? Do they ever look at you in the mirror? Do you ever like to fight? It's like you get energized by a fight. Can you turn any conversation into a conflict? Is argument like an art form? And you will continue to argue and continue the conflict and continue the fight until you think the other person is suitably punished. I've asked people sometimes, why are you punishing your husband? Why are you punishing your wife? Why? Why are you punishing your parents? Why are you punishing your children? Because that's what the fighting really is all about. That's what the arguing is really all about. That's what the conflict is really all about. You're trying to hurt them. Why? Why the penchant for punishment? Here's what the word of God says. Hey, it is an honor. You want to be an honorable man? an honorable woman, honorable young person, it is an honor for a man to stay out of a fight. Only fools insist on quarreling. Only fools. Did you notice three references that connect anger and fools? If this offends you, hey, I don't write this stuff. I just read it. Okay, that's really funny. Okay. Okay, have you ever, are you familiar with the phrase silent but deadly? Yeah, probably not at church. <laughs> but the, the clinical term in reference to anger for silent but deadly is passive aggressive. Your anger is still aggressive. It's just silent but deadly. Your anger flies under the radar and drops sarcastic stink bombs on the people you're angry at. Sarcasm is a form of attack. It's passive aggressive. You can use a sharp tongue to slice and dice the people in your life with sarcastic remarks so that they just die a, a, a slow death of a thousand caustic cuts. It's just the other side of the coin of the predator power washer blasting away. No, you're like a stealth bomber dropping those sarcastic stink bombs on the people you're upset with, on the people that you're punishing. The Bible says this, the start of an argument is like, man, a water leak in a, in a dam. Stop it. Because if you keep doing the sarcasm, trouble, trouble is gonna break out. If you keep doing the passive aggression, you're still being mean. It's just a sneaky mean. 
is still hurting. It's just a sneaky hurt. And just like Jesus, you can stop, think, put distance between yourself and even the idea, put time between yourself and even the idea, pray, God, what should I say? What should I, what should I do? Now, I know it's still morning on a Sunday, kind of a humid, rainy Sunday, and this is not your sharpest time for thinking on complex, deep theological thoughts, but I have two great theological thoughts to give you. Get ready to think. Here we go. Think before you stink and pray before you spray. (laughs) Your anger, if you don't think, When you're in the disturbance, you're going to start stinking. Whether you're stuffing it or predator power washing it. Pray before you spray. In the moment, you still got time to think. Walk away and you think better. Spend time, you think better. Pray, pray pray. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't let it even enter your mind without prayer. And maybe you want to give me some pushback and say, hey, David, uh, doesn't the Bible talk a lot about God being angry? Yes, it does. The uh, anger of God is mentioned nearly 600 times in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And every time it's reference of God's anger toward our sin. He's holy, we're not. We screw up, we do the wrong thing, say the hurtful thing, be hateful, and it it triggers his anger. Nearly 600 times, God's angry at our sin. Nearly 600 times in the Old Testament part of the Bible, but then something happens in the New Testament part of the Bible. The cross of Jesus Christ happens You see, on the cross, Jesus' blood was shed not just for the forgiveness of our sins. It's not just that he suffered a torturous, agonizing, excruciating physical death. On the cross, Jesus absorbed all God's anger due us for our sin. All the punishment of God fell on him. The punishment we deserved, he was our substitute. He took our place and he stood between us and the anger of God. All God's anger fell on Jesus. All his anger toward me, rightfully for my sin. All his anger toward you, rightfully for your sin. All God's judgment, all God's condemnation, it all fell on Jesus. And then God raised him from the dead just to seal the deal that he would never be angry with you. That because Jesus took it all, that God would never punish you because Jesus took it all in your place as your substitute. He took it all. He took all God's wrath so that now if like Tori last week, you surrender yourself fully to Jesus, believing that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you participate with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, you have this promise, God will never be angry with you. He swears that he will never punish you. Never, never, never. No, 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 Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. Here's his promise, Isaiah 54, and actually, here's the prelude in uh, verse nine. This is God speaking. God says, for me... For me, 
God says, speaking to you, for me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now, now, now I have sworn on the basis of you believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord, crucified for our sins and risen from the dead. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you ever and never, never, never to punish you. Hey, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my promise of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. The Lord who chooses compassion at the sight of a risen, victorious Christ, victorious over sin, hell, and the grave, compassion for you, on the basis of the victory of Jesus. No anger, no punishment, compassion. His unfailing love is unshakable. Would you stand with me, please? I'm gonna close um, as I have each of the services by inviting you forward to pray. And you know, maybe you've come forward to pray for me to pray with your Jake about anger stuff going on in your life. And uh, maybe you don't want to pray with me. You're a woman and maybe you'd feel more comfortable. Our Shannon will be down here to, to pray uh, with you and be available to you. Uh, but don't, don't give a rip about what anybody thinks. If there's brokenness and there's hurt, Jesus is a healer and we can call down the goodness of God. Or if you'd like to surrender your life fully to Jesus by sharing with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, hey, we're ready to put the past behind you. Bury the baggage. You'll be made new, fully new, a new creation, ever less you and ever more Jesus. Let me pray over you. Our Father and our God, you are full of mercy. You love to show compassion. Lord, please forgive us. Whether our anger is silent but deadly or rock them, sock and robot stuff, love and defined, or garbage can stuff, or power sprayer stuff, Lord, please forgive us. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us that we can walk away, that we can put time between us and what's happening, we can pray, and God will speak. The Lord, in fact, I'd like to ask you to speak right now, because there's probably people in this room who need to be baptized, who need to have their sins washed away, who need to be on the receiving end of the promise that you will never be angry, never punish them. So just provoke their hearts to not give a rip about what anybody thinks for them. They just come to the front. They just come to you, Lord Jesus, for life change, for forgiveness of sin. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.